This episode of ACMG Presents Talk Time Live is brought to you in part by Viewfinders Identity Search and Design. Your choice for web design, graphic design, and all multimedia development needs. Visit VFISAD.com and let us bring your vision to reality. Hey, this is Jeff Thorne. I am the writer, producer, showrunner of the Avengers Black Panther's Quest TV series. And you are listening to ACMG Presents Talk Time Live. Previously on Talk Time Live Exclusive. I learned three things from watching you in this film. One, which I mentioned on your page, on my page that you shared, you ain't nothing to blank with. (laughs) That's one. Two, you technically went toe-to-toe with Mike Tyson or Ray Charles, depending on your personal preference here. So, you know, kudos to you on that. Um, And three, I now know by watching your fight scene how you've been married for so damn long. So for that sake, kudos to your husband on that note. (laughs) oh you're so funny where does day shift rank with you personally among like the other movies that you've uh, been involved in oh day shifts (laughs) i mean a dream come true (laughs) you know it's time talk time let's go anime comics movies and games to come on and let's get it talk time anime comics movies and games to come on and let's get it talk Time. Anime comics, movies and games to come on and let's get it. Talk time. Anime comics, movies and games to come on and let's get it. Talk time. Live. Started in the 80s with Matt Cross. Dudes in the hood might have called that soft, but I carried that cross like Jesus did. Fast forward, I teach the kids to learn how to let go, live life, and show love to all things that don't matter where y'all from. And luckily, there's a show called Talk Time. We've been waiting for this for a long time. Dax kicks the facts on all the geek news, special guests. And unbiased reviews Suburban kids The hipster street dudes All can learn something new Me too I heard words with no faith is empty I stayed the course So my haters tempt me Beep the podcast That'll make them envy It ain't too trendy It's ACMG Anime comics Movies and games That come on and let's get it Talk time Anime comics Movies and games That come on and let's get it Talk time Anime comics Movies and games That come on and let's get it Talk Time. Anime, Live. comics, movies, and games to come on and let's get it. Talk time. Live. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Journal of My Life that covers all things anime, comics, movies, and games. This is ACMG Presents Talk Time Live, the Prime Show. I am your host, Xavier Josiah, and I know you're probably surprised. You're probably even expecting a select start video game podcast. Well, not today, my friends, because one, it's not that much information going on in the gaming world. I mean, yes, Dragon Ball is out on Fortnite, but I can't talk about that for an hour because one, I'm not a big Fortnite fan, and I'm just thinking like, do I really want to play Fortnite just to play this one thing and I, you know this is like just a hot pants of the moment type of thing and i know people are enjoying fortnite with goku on air as he's using guns or using his command mail wave to go through everybody in, in different forts and everything and just taking people out and i know it's it seems fun i just can't dedicate myself to it because it just feels like you know a 15 seconds of fame moment or you know a hot flash moment where you're going to enjoy this and then you're going to move on to the next thing so i didn't want to invest that much time into what i thought about the gameplay 
it's still Fortnite. It's still using the same skin. It's still using the same, you know, play mechanics. But this time you just get to use the Kamehameha Wave. Like once that's done, once that, you know, novelty is done, people are just going to move on to the next game very quickly and forget about it. But this is in celebration of Dragon Ball Super Superhero, which I got a chance to see and I got a chance to see it uh, yesterday at early screening. Today is Friday where it actually premieres and people will be able to see it. But I got to see an early viewing of it yesterday. So here is my chance to actually talk about it in our talk topic of the week. Now, even though I'm reviewing that, there's actually going to be three reviews this week because so much has come out. So this entire show will be like a trifecta of reviews. I'm also going to be talking about She-Hulk, which premiered yesterday as well. I'm also going to talk about Tekken Bloodline, which premiered yesterday as well. So those two I will talk about in the next segment, along with a little bit of uh, anime news that has occurred. And then in our talk topic, we'll talk about Dragon Ball Super. And I'm re and again, the reason why I'm doing this prime episode very early and not normally on a Sunday like I normally do is because on Sunday I'm going to be having a returning guest he's not just any guest he is the one and only Kyle Bear. you may know him as the voice of Gohan and the voice of Ryu from Street Fighter among other many characters he's played but we had to get him back on this Sunday because Dragon Ball Superhero is out and we got to talk about that. we literally when I found out that this was going to be more focused on Gohan and the idea that Gohan's finally going to get his due. I immediately contacted him and said, like, you know, we got to talk. We I got to get you on. Can you please come on the show as always gracious and grateful he, uh, as of a person that he is? He agreed to come back on. I am so ever happy to know this guy. He's such a good friend. He's always looked out for me. He's always looked out for this show and um. I, I, I'm looking forward to talk to him because this is the I think feel like this is the conversation I've been waiting to have for him. And I never knew if we were ever going to have this conversation in, regarding Gohan. So I cannot wait. Stay tuned because on the 22nd of August, he will you will get to hear this conversation, this interview that we have about this movie, about him and maybe some other, you know, Capcom projects he may possibly be, uh, you know, aware with and, you know, be a part of. So we'll talk about a lot of that. <laughs> coming to 22nd but i will be recording the interview on the sunday post-production we'll have to play because this is audio and video working on with some new tools and toys that will help bring the quality of that show on as you've seen with uh danielle kennedy that i did recently and by the way thank you danielle for coming back on to talk time live uh exclusive to talk about her appearance on day shift with uh jamie fox and that epic 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 first scene that they had that that movie was so dope so it was really great to talk to her and uh ha I had a great time talking with her and she enjoyed it and everybody who listened to it enjoyed it as well got some great uh feedback for it and I just it's just a why I'm so grateful you know I want to give a big shout out real quick to my sister Ayana Washington who is now the executive director of uh CCP here in Philadelphia, which is Community College of Philadelphia. She's, you know, been a part of education for quite some time. And she has, this is somebody like, if you want to talk about somebody who's come, you know, started from the bottom and now she's here, you know, one of those stories, my sister is a great example of this. This is a person that, you know, has always worked 
academically throughout her life. Like she's done what I took, what I I'm late on doing, you know, she was always the more assertive person in the family. And she always was the go getter, the, you know, the one who pushes people on. She really kind of pushed me along to be the person that she knew I could be. Um, which is why I'm here doing this show, which is why I have all the opportunities I was able to have because she pushed me to, to my full potential. She was my piccolo. <laughs> like, honestly, she was truly my piccolo in my life. And she has started, she's a person that started out working in, you know, supermarkets, you know, doing cashiering and, and you know, working at Burger King, literally working at Burger King, like true story, Burger King, uh, McDonald's. And every time she worked at any of these places, she became a supervisor or a manager in these places because she was diligent and, you know, she was diligent and assertive enough to be able to take on these roles. And it just all led, led up to her going to college and excelling there, you know, you know, joining the AKA sororities and all this stuff and, you know, becoming a sister out of that and, you know, moving on to, becoming administrative and directors and managers of different schools and universities and whatnot. And now she is the executive director for CCP, a place that I went to, to hone my art and design skills in one of the first places that I'm going to, to hone my art and design skills. And I highly recommend that place. If you're in Philadelphia, if you're an artist, wanted to be an artist or a designer, and you know, you want to go to start off in a place to learn a great craft, go there even before you go to like university of arts or, you know, any of the other art schools out there, you know, CCP is not a bad place to go to. And on top of that, they have network, they have networked themselves with other places that can allow you to transition over to different areas. So it's not a bad place to start. And I've learned a lot from that. Trust me, I'm benefiting from the teachings of my professors there as so much, trust me. So it, it's really, it, it, it I have, have great pride and I'm very proud that she is now, you know, leading the charge for this new building and it's going to help a new generation of people gain skills to get opportunities to do some awesome things in the medical world and the clinical world and, the, you know, um, in, in the mechanical world at that and science and everything. And she's heading all that. I couldn't be more proud of her for that. So, um, you know, kudos to her on that. I got to see her yesterday in the grand opening and it was just pretty awesome. So just wanted to put that out there because, you know, without her being my piccolo, I probably wouldn't be doing this now. So this <laughs> is true indeed. You know, I am kind of the Gohan in our family who, who had this potential to do really awesome things. And then, you know, from her pushing me through all the trials and tribulations we went to, I finally reached my, you know, full potential of it. And I'm doing exactly what I'm doing now, regardless of all the trials and tribulations that I occur and all the challenges that I've gone through, you know, wouldn't have been able to do it without her. So there you go. And there's the kind of the, uh, you know, intertwine between anime and reality there. So nonetheless, we got some things to talk about. So let's not waste any time, folks. Let's find out what's new in the world of ACMG. And now it's time to find out what's new in the world of ACMG. All right, so we're going to start off this with anime news. One, 
being One Punch Man season three has recently been announced. Crunchyroll confirmed the third season is in production right now. Uh, this will follow everything from season two. Um, they usually take quite a bit for these uh, series to come out. I don't know if the pandemic usually has something to do with it, but uh, it took, you know, since uh, season one came out, we thought there was a lot of fans thought that there was a one time deal and turns out that it didn't. They end up getting a second season. And, you know, again, this is the same thing. A long length of time has gone by and now we got news that season three is in the works and production right now and it is coming. This was followed by a movie poster graphic confirming it, showing Saitama, Saitama and Goro standing side by side with the One Punch Man logo and the number three on there. Uh, no further information as to when it will arrive, but it is coming. I predict possibly maybe sometime next year, of course. There's no way we're getting down to the wire of the uh, end of the year or the other half of the year. There's no way it's coming out anytime soon. So possibly maybe, you know, winter 2023 or even 2024. We'll find out for sure. It just depends on how much, you know, presentation and work that they're going to put into this uh, season here. So we'll see. Bleach, the thousand year war. We know that was coming. Uh, if you guys remember my panel with the cast of uh, Bleach from the uh, Repop Metaverse last year, we talked uh, briefly about that, not their involvement with it, but just the idea that it was coming. And of course, because, you know, we can't get, excuse me, we can't get any real news from whether they are or, you know, Michelle, um, Michelle you know, Johnny Young Bosch, Michelle Ruff, Johnny Young Bosch and Stephanie Shea, who I uh, did a panel with last year. They couldn't they can never tell you unless confirmed by the company whether they're going to be a part of the season. Like there's it's one point to know whether they're going to be a part of it. And it's been confirmed by the actual studio. But they also probably have been told and has an NDA and they can't discuss it. So, I mean, at some point, if you're a person interviewing somebody, you can't really get out these things from these people. Like you can only speculate and they can only say, but so much. So you can, it's like, as a person that's interviewing somebody, you can't, you can only say, but so much or ask so much because you know, you're going to get an answer of no, or we can't discuss this at the time. So it's just one of those things. Sometimes it's like, you, you can't push it further because one, you don't want to get these people fired. Why would you want I don't ever understand as an interviewer, like why you can ask that question. You can always say like, I know you may not be able to say too much like I do normally. So, cause it's just like, it's, it's, you know, it's really transparent. It's like, you really can't talk about it. And you like these characters, but you want them to say what they want to say just for the sake of your show. But you also want them to get fired from, <laughs> from their contracts or get sued. No, we don't. We love these guys as these characters. So why would we want to do that? So, <laughs> It is possible that these guys will return as their roles and most likely it will be, but we did, we kind of went around it during that panel, but you could go see that panel on talktimelive.com. I have it there where you can um, check out that panel and other panels that I did for the metaverse involving those same uh, actors there as well. But we know that this is coming, but the rumor is now is that the thousand year war may be coming to Disney Plus. Now, there's no further info involving whether this is true or not. The series is set to be released in October, mostly in Japan especially, but a post on Reddit that was claiming that this was happening has popped up uh recently, which had a lot of people actually, you know, wondering if this was coming out. You know, 
it was, you know, I read this, I saw this, uh, I even have it up right now saying it like Crunchyroll shot themselves in the foot. Um, Viz Media owns the licenses, distribute Bleach, but doesn't have the rights, their own uh, online streaming service, which is true because it is on Crunchyroll, it is on Funimation, but they are now combined to one, which is uh, owned by Sony, of course. And apparently, according to this graphic uh, with this information, Disney Plus won the won and bought the rights to Bleach entire catalog. Now, here as they're saying this, Bleach is still on Crunchyroll, and Bleach is still on Hulu, and it is still on um, Netflix. It is still on uh, Funimation. So it's on multiple different platforms. Hulu is owned by Disney, of course. Um, but Netflix is Netflix and they have the series as well, along with a few of the movies in there. And there's a, it's spread out in different platforms, but it's not lock and key. We'll see if this is true. And they claim that a reliable inside source explained to the media, uh, people had, uh, been under, uh, a misconception that, uh, because Crunchyroll is a Sony company they should have the necessary money to acquire bleach. However, because uh, they have fixed annual budget, it is very likely that the budget was used to uh, used on Chainsaw Man. So Crunchyroll elected to let bleach uh, slip through the fingers. And, you know, that's apparently the story that's being said right now. So whether this is true or not, we'll find out down the line. Uh, Reddit usually have people have credible sources to an extent, but also there's a lot of people who go on Reddit and just, you know, say what they feel they think it's right on Reddit too. Reddit is like every other source out there. It's not always right, but they do have some people on there uh, that do mention some things that it wind up being true, but it's like, it's one out of a few hundred thousand, okay? And I hate this idea that people think that Reddit is always right. And that's not always the case that, you know, whatever Reddit, Reddit is still a small margin of people. Okay. I had this conversation with somebody on, uh, on our ACMG Facebook group who was talking about what one of the shows that got canceled, um, recently. No, no, it wasn't the one of the shows that got canceled. It was, um, Superman and Lois, because the actor who plays um, John is now no longer a part of the series. And many have said that it may have been due to his anti-vaxxer beliefs and the fact that they're filming in Canada and Canada has a really bad situation with COVID right now and how they're handling it. And, you know, they really, you know, bowing down to that situation. And he's one of those people that just doesn't. I didn't. You know, it's funny because here in the U.S., We've kind of died down and diluted the situation because a lot more the percentage of people who are now vaccinated has grown exponentially so much to the point that it's just people are now just getting vaccinated. Even the people who were anti-vaxxers have kind of bowed down and said like, OK, you know, it's been quite a while now. People have been vaccinated. None of the beliefs that we've said has happened has happened. The conspiracy theories or, you know, the 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 um, the crazy theories that people had as to what happens when you get vaccinated. It, it hasn't happened. Like I've been boosted like twice 
I've been vaccinated three times, you know, to that extent. Like, I have not had any situations occur. So, people have now kind of died down and, and the mandates have changed and things have changed in this country since then because it's been handled a lot better. And we got other things to focus on now. <laughs> um, but other countries are not, are still having major trouble with that situation. And Canada is one of them. So it's believed that that may have been a situation. And the guy came, come, comes on to chime in and says like, he felt that Superman and Lois was trash. And that necessarily is like, okay, that's his opinion. But you know, it's one of those situations where people say that something that they don't like in a way that it seems like they're dictating what everybody's supposed to think. But it's just like, if you're going to do that, just say, I thought it was trash, but don't say it was trash in general, because you're generalizing the thoughts and theories of everybody. And not everybody, and not everybody believes that, you know, a show or a movie is trash. That's not true. That's your opinion. And that's fine. If you thought it was bad, that's fine. It's totally fine. Um, I particularly like Superman and Lois. I like the series, but you know, it's, you know, there's a lot of people liking it. If it wasn't really liked, that show would have been canceled a long time ago, but they're getting another season because people watch the show. And I, I would also argue if you are watching it, but don't like it, why the hell are you wasting your time watching a show that you don't like? And that was my issue with him is that he, for some reason, is like complaining all the time about a show he like i told him i'm like dude i'm a wrestling fan i don't watch wwe raw or smackdown even now with vince mcmahon leaving i still don't watch it because one when he was there i felt it was trash a lot of people did but see unlike other people i decided to say look there's better things on tv at the time so i'm gonna put my investment and quality of life and put it onto another thing that can entertain me and make me feel good about watching TV. Those shows, those platforms did not make me do that. If I wanted to watch wrestling, I watch AEW, New Japan Pro Wrestling, maybe some other things that'll come by. I was not, I do not, I have not watched WWE programming for years, even NXT, because they have all fall from its graces. And now even with McMahon leaving and I hear things have changed and I'm like, it's not gonna change that quick. If you heard me on the, Sunday night's main event radio show uh, a while back, which you can still check out on, uh, yeah, um, which I was on TSN radio and Toronto sports network. Um, you can also check that episode out on, uh, what is it? Poppy. And uh, you can check it out there. There's the recordings are there. I talked about that when I was asked, you know, am I ready to go back? I'm like, not yet. It's not time. It's they, he just left. And there's no indication that things have changed that much to a point. The only thing that changed is that Vince McMahon is not there, but it's going to need more. So when it gets better, then I'll watch, then I'll invest my time. You know, that could be like a year from now, you know? So, but I'm not going to watch it if it's not entertaining. So that's my point. If you're not going to watch something, if you're, you know, why, why do it? And his claim going back to the real discussion, which was Reddit was, well, people on Reddit thought it was trash too. I'm like, but Reddit is only a small percentage of people. It's a vocal minority of opinions. You That doesn't dictate the other thousands and thousands of people who watch constantly. And again, I even question that small vocal minority of people. 
If you don't like it, why are you watching it consistently? Because all you're doing is helping them make money. If, if they don't deserve to have that money, they don't deserve to have your, your, your eyes peeled to that show every week. Cause what happens is you're, you're giving them the rights to have sponsors come in and, you know, give them ad revenue to air their shows. And that's why these shows stay up for ad revenue. It's not just to entertain us, but it's to get ad revenue. If a show is consistently watched, then that means sponsors will be able to come in and sell their products during commercial times because that show is you know watched all the time but if a show is not watched all the time then these sponsors don't want to invest in these shows they don't want to you know pay for these time slots or pay a lot for these time slots because there's not a not enough eyes on it that's how it works if a show is going to be watched they're going to pay. That's why every year in the Super Bowl, and I keep making this example because this the Super Bowl is the greatest example of this. Millions of millions of people watch the Super Bowl. These ads, the, the ad revenue for the Super Bowl is in the millions to, to pay to get a time slot during the Super Bowl. Even local, even local uh, shows, you get like you still got to pay a pretty penny to get your ad on the Super Bowl. They're paying almost movie level money to be on the Super Bowl for 30 seconds or less than 30 seconds at that. So that's what it's all about. That is what it's all about. Therefore, Super Superman and Lois is a successful show. Even shows that, did, you know, they end up ending soon, like Black Lightning lasted like what three four seasons that's still a hell of an accomplishment because people kept watching legends of tomorrow even though it got even though it's it like kind of in my opinion it diluted in quality in presentation and in the story at the end near the end of its term it was still successful it lasted eight seasons and they got eight seasons of ad revenue because of that so again reddit is it's good but it's not the end-all be-all of everything <laughs> it's still a small minority group of people not everybody is on reddit not everybody is on twitter not everybody you know you can't say everybody is doing something whenever somebody said um you know everybody you know you know was agreeable on something on twitter and i'm like i'm on i have a twitter account i haven't agreed to that <laughs> no don't exaggerate your terms people but i digress we'll see about Bleach the Thousand Year War, whether it's coming to Disney. And if it does, hey, that's another check. That's another check on um, that one person on Reddit. It's not the whole entire people. It's that one person on Reddit. He could have been that one person on Twitter. He could have been that one person on Facebook that confirmed it. It's just one person. It's not the platform itself. So just put that out there. So let's move on to some greater things. Let's talk about She-Hawk people. It's been a lot of talks it's been a lot of talks about this show. And, you know, before any normies got a chance to see this, there's been talks on IMDb that was talking about this show being a bomb. Now, it the the, the reviews that this that they got on IMDb or unconfirmed um, you know, reviews we don't know when whether these people actually got to see this show or not. We didn't 
there's been it feels like whenever a show or movie based on a female lead or a lead of color comes by it suddenly gets a vocal minority review and it gets trash and i think i think that this is an act of sabotage more than it is a true critique of a of a uh show or movie I think it's intentionally made to try to trash the show before the show ever comes out. But it normally never works out that way because we end up seeing the, the final product. And what it is is that they're trying to throw in self-fulfilling prophecies and say, like, this show is bad. So you need to think that the show is bad when we see it. And to some minor minded people, they will fall for that self-fulfilling prophecy. And guess this person said it was bad. So I'm going to have the mindset of this is bad that's what selling self-fulfilling prophecies pretty much are you are who we say you are it is what we say it is and you believe it not giving your own opinion not having your own you know feelings about it your feelings are not your feelings it is their feelings being projected onto you that's what a self-fulfilling prophecy is and in this case that didn't work for me and nor any self-fulfilling prophecies ever worked for me if it did we wouldn't be you wouldn't be hearing my voice right now so I, like many, got to see the first episode, and I, like many, found this show to be very funny. It made a great first impression, and Tatiana Maslany, which this is the first time I've ever seen her because I never watched the uh, her show, uh, the show that she was on, a black, you know, I forgot what show was she was on before, uh, but it was a really famous show that she was on, and. I felt like she really did an awesome, awesome job here. And I under, fully understand why people love her so much. Um, she did tremendous in here. I, she really, and again, kudos to the casting director because, and I'm going into IMDB right now as we're talking about this. It is Orphan Black. This is the show that people love. It was on, I believe it was on sci-fi, I guess. And um, she did a tremendous job on that show. She was on Perry Mason as well from what I see here. And she knocked it out of the part as Jennifer Walters, a character I am very familiar with being a Marvel Comics fan. And I felt she felt like Jennifer because in, in the comics and in, you know, past animated, uh, you know, TV shows based on a hawk. They she had an appearance in there. She was always this very, you know, um, carefree, easygoing type of person, you know, uh, charismatic type of person compared to Bruce you know, who was just kind of late, you know, very, you know, laid back and kind of cautious type of person. She was not, she was very uh, assertive and ongoing. And this is, she's playing the role and the characteristics of Jennifer Walters very well. Uh, I thought she was fantastic as Jennifer Walters here, the human and the She-Hawk version. Mark Ruffalo has really made this role into his own. I mean, you know, look back at the years when he first debuted as this version as this version of bruce banner because ed norton was supposed to you know handle it and i look back now i'm like ed norton did a really great job as bruce banner i mean he was he played a bill bixby-esque type of version of bruce banner but looking at it now and how they formatted the mcu i don't think he would have fit this format i don't think he would have done he would have molded with the crew and i think that's why he felt it wasn't his gel and i think kevin feige and them also felt like it wasn't 
his you know cup of tea either so they kind of parted ways on that you know, but mark ruffalo he really assimilated into this role made it his own and you know with the hawk becoming smart hawk now this is what it's become uh you know he's really gelled in and they made it in you know assimilated him very well and morphed the two into a role that really makes him feel like him you know so i i really appreciated seeing him more in this role here and it's funny because people were so mad that we didn't get enough hawk or we didn't get an, our own hawk another hawk movie or whatnot but we have seen the hawk considerably well throughout the marvel cinematic universe and i thought they did a great job with how they progressed him in the story and you know by using other elements to you know bring him in i thought it was really well done and, and this is another example so what i really liked about this episode is the origin story itself i mean the great origin story that in in this show that mimicked the original setup for how jennifer walters got her blood transfusion which led to her becoming she-hawk you know in in this particular series in this universe i should say during a car accident jen got some of uh, bruce's blood in her system when the car crashed because she was near him and the blood poured into her cuts in, in the uh, lacerations that she had changing her and causing her to become a hawk in the original tale in the comic books jennifer did get into a life-threatening accident but the difference here is that bruce decided that he wanted to do a pop a proper blood transfusion at the risk of her being infected by the gamma radiation becoming a hawk and for some reason like i remember that i remember reading a story in the comics very well you know it was a decision made by him because she was out of commission she had no choice in this it was accidentally transfused in her blood and not in a you know not in the way that they did it in the comics where they were in a lab and they did it this way to save her life or whatever like that no it just i like the way that just happened because it kind of makes sense because in the comics you kind of question was this a really good smart idea for bruce to do this knowing his blood is transfused with gamma radiation and why would you want to transfer that blood in there you know he you would want to think that he would be more worried of the idea that just happened this right here this was accidental so it with it happening he was able to try to fight and help her get through this so i like the way that just happened here uh and it's still it it's it, it, it still remained that she did get it from an accident and she did get it through through a blood transfusion but not in the same way that it happened in the books and i thought this was very smartly done uh so much of the episode basically walked us through her training to become uh you know to to control her newfound abilities just like in the comics jennifer managed to grasp the concept of her powers much faster than bruce making bruce a little bit jealous in the process because it took him it took him 10 years to, to, to you know become the smart hawk in here where it just took her like she grasped it in just like in a matter of like days if you will also you know may, i don't know maybe i'm thinking too much of this Maybe I'm thinking way too deeply into this, but um, I felt like they kind of hinted off at Bruce telling us how long the process of this new saga is going to be. And he said something in a manner of, uh, let me see if I can find this here. Because I've mentioned this. I mentioned this in the, um, in the our talk time post here and saying that 
this is a multi-year journey you're about to embark on. It is about like 15 years, give or take. So he was saying that to say like, he was actually saying that to say how Jennifer, it, it may take Jennifer to grasp the concept of controlling her consciousness within, cause she felt, he thought that she, she like, like him, Bruce thought that Jennifer may have possible have a alter ego like he did that it would go back and forth and not, you know, morph it in. But Jennifer managed to grasp it even faster than he did. But I felt like that line was a wink wink to us saying like, okay, this whole multiverse saga, maybe 15 years, give or take. And, you know, we, we will see, you know, She-Hulk in the process of all this coming and going in here. And what I also liked is that, you know, Jennifer did not want to become a Hawk. She wanted to become a lawyer and be a superhero in that fashion by, you know, serving justice in that way. And Bruce is telling her like, your life is going to change. You can't do that anymore or whatever like that. She wasn't trying to hear that, you know, and they going through this back and forth whole entire situation. So much of the episode is just showing us how she, you know, comes to terms with it and assimilates into that. Um, just like in the comics, Jennifer managed to grasp it very well. And uh, her being able to, uh, you know, acquire and becoming the Hawk made uh, her want to go back into her normal life even well because she just got through it. But Bruce feels that like she still has a lot to learn. Bruce wasn't too happy about the idea that um, she wanted to go back and this led them to having a little bit of a squirrel, you know, family uh, quarrel with each other and they do it in Hawk fashion. After those two broke the bar that Tony made for him, by the way, the island that they were in was a facility that Tony made for Hawk to be able to, you know, come, you know, uh, you know, morph into this new smart Hawk, which is funny because it's like, Tony's not there. So anything that gets damaged, like who's going to pay for that? That's the question. Because as a result, Jennifer broke the, uh, the training facility that he had, which he claims that was like about a million, a few million dollars to put together, you know, so he's going to have to figure out who's going to be able to finance that situation. Now, is it going to be whatever a shield or sword is it going to be coming out? That's going to be interesting to see. Also, I should note that when they had that car accident, it was because of some type of a, a aircraft that was supposed to be delivering some, um, information or messages to him that he said that he's going to have to go back and figure out what that is. So I don't know if we're going to find that out within the nine episodes of this series, or is this something that's just leading into something deeper down the line, but that has to be answered down the line. It looks like that's setting up to be something even greater coming into the you new know, multiverse saga, if you will. So, um, she, after they, broke the bar and rebuilt it back and they came to terms and everything and she ended up going back she returns to her life as a lawyer when Jamela Jamil as Titania busts through the courts which forced Jennifer to hawk out and stop her while also exposing herself as the as a superpower being in the midst of all this so she's out there she's now about to go viral and that's how the series ended but I love how the series ended with E with um who's that girl by Eve rocks on you know little philly love gets into the mix of the marvel cinematic universe here with eve people forget eve is from philly <laughs> okay another philly uh milestone there so um rocking on with that and with everything that has happened in the first episode none was more significant than this constant conversation throughout the entire episode of jennifer trying to get bruce to acknowledge that steve rogers 
did not die a virgin. This was the funniest thing ever. And we finally got that answer at the very end of the episode as a result of the one of the best end credit scenes in the all of the MCU. Jennifer fakes being drunk to get Bruce to tell her that Steve is in fact not a, uh, a virgin and he lost his virginity somewhere in 1959, I think he said. And it worked because she found out she she uh, he figured out that she wasn't drunk. This led to one of the funniest lines Tatiana uh, Maslany uh, actually said. Maslany, I'm hoping I'm getting that right, said and did and sealed it for me of her as an actor, as She-Hawk, as Jennifer Walters, when she shouts out Captain America uh, and they just go to credits. And when she did that, I nearly died laughing. Okay, <laughs> that sold me on her right there. I, that sold me on her. That sold me on this this series. That has got that that in credit scene is now going viral around the world. It's it's deafening to the point that all of the negative, um, all of the negative like you know uh, reviews or whatever just went out the door because now that line is just being said everywhere. I want Marvel Studios to make a Captain America F U U U U U U t-shirt out of this. They're not going to do it. I feel like I need to make that t-shirt. Like I need to go and make that myself because that was awesome. That was absolutely awesome. Even Chris Evans even went on Twitter and just laughed at the idea of that scene. Um, and then it just went, that went viral as well. Jamila Demel also went in there and just put all skulls in there saying dead. It was one of the funniest in credit roll scenes ever. So it is safe to say that with all of the talk about that in credit scene, the series itself, uh, the first episode itself, that majority of people, the vocal majority of people's opinion is saying that this show is a, a definite uh, sell for them. We are expected to have cameos in this series in all of the nine episodes. Mark Ruffalo apparently will be in every episode. Um, we also will be having some other cameos as well. We already saw uh, Daredevil that will be in this show as well. And he is expected to be in, it looks like a lot. We're gonna see him in like every episode after this. So his first appearance will be next episode. Uh, we will also see Tim Roth making his return as Abomination as well. I love Tim Roth. I've always liked him since the original, which by the way, I I keep saying this, the Incredible Hulk in the first phase was significantly one of my favorite of all of the first phase movies. I loved how it was filmed. I loved how it was you know put together. I love um, Ed Norton as Bruce Banner, even though Mark Ruffalo took over. But Tim Roth, it was the first time I've ever seen Tim Roth in that, sh in that uh, show in that movie and i followed him ever since um when he he did uh he had a series on fox that he did too and i loved him in that too before they um canceled that after uh i believe a season or so but he was i loved him as abomination um i thought he, the story of abomination was really well done and much to a the vocal minority opinion like this is one of those situations where fans you have fans who like was all about it at the beginning and then you got these few people who want to become uh, contrarian and want to go against the grain of every other popular opinion out there just because it's the popular opinion and they just want to be 
you know, debatable about it. And those, that's pretty much what a contrarian is, people. And, you know, they decided to try to say that Hawk was the worst. Like, no, it wasn't. And if that was the case, Marvel would have diminished that a long time ago. But they stuck to their guns because popular opinion said that they actually liked that movie. And it was way better than the Ang Lee Hawk. By far, in a way, better than the Ang Lee Hawk. It, it, and talking of CGI and talking of storytelling, it really measured up. And I liked how that movie kind of mixed the comic book source to the old 80s cartoon as well had elements of that but the fact that they kept bringing back characters from the original hawk series like uh thunderbolt patters um thunderbolt ross and now tim roth reprising his role as you know abomination really saying that they stick to their guns on the story and narrative because there were a lot of people or stupid people that were saying like you know they don't even associate the Hawk to this. But Thunderbolt Ross was on Civil War. Thunderbolt Ross was in, you know, Black Widow. Tim Roth ended up being a Shang-Chi, reprising his role as Abomination. He's going to be on this show, reprising his role as Abomination, which I think is going to lead to the Thunderbolts coming soon. So I am so looking forward to this. And we're going to also see uh, Benedict Wong reprising his role as Wong in here as well. So um, this may be, we may be in for some of the most entertaining episodes to date like miss marvel was really great and funny and this is going to continue to path for there so uh, another name that i was really happy to see him here because i really enjoyed his performance in another show uh, griffin matthews who um play he plays uh, a character on the flight attendant he's the he's the um friend and flight attendant uh character from uh kaylee coco uh show that is also a fbi agent on the show as well or an informant as well or something to that extent um he will be in seven of the episodes but i, I the imdb credit on there does not explain or reveal who he is in the series but he is definitely there so i am very much looking forward to seeing this this is going to be awesome uh according to our acmg facebook group everybody who's chimed in has said they loved it. They enjoyed it. They loved the end credit scene. They loved everything about it. They loved how they did the origin story. There's a lot of people who agree with it on other platforms as well. So sorry to those vocal minority uh, sabotagers. This is going to be another hit for people. CGI was as great as what you expect. So and to those who claim that, you know, the CGI was shoddy or whatever like that. Can I ask, what do you do for a living? Okay. Um, Because... I hate, I feel like people who are not educated in certain fields try to chime in as if they are educated and have skills or work in these kind of industries that requires it. And they don't. It's like, no offense, but you work at Arby's. How the hell are you trying to determine, trying to convince other people that this is uh, shoddy um, CGI? What are you doing from your nine to five that requires you to be an expert in this case? Okay. Like, no, you can't not tell me you're, you if you work at Arby's or 7-Eleven or whatever, a, 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 a normal day job, which is a highly respectable thing to do, but that's your field. Your field is not animation. Your field is not graphic design. Your field is not editing. If you don't do that, how are you determining what you think is that when you can't even articulate the proper terminologies or whatever to say what it is? You're just going off. And I, this is a constant thing that happens in the subculture that is our favorite fandoms is that we got people who are major fans of this but 
you can't really say that because you don't know the whole thing like I can only say but so much but I also learn a lot because I actually know a lot of people who works in the industries those people actually come on the show the Danielle Kennedy's the Molly Flanagan's the Kyle Abares, the uh Chom- the Jeffrey Chamba Cruises the Jeffrey Thorns you know people like that they are people who work in the industry and they talk to me and they talk to our listeners and they talk to our watchers about what goes on what they do how it happens that's how we get the information from the source not from people who work everyday jobs and don't inv- invest hours and hours of you know craft and skill and education into this that's a lot of people on social media right now you may be one of the people listening it's okay to want to know but if you really want to know go to the source go find a source go educate yourselves in a matter but don't go in saying that you talking as if you have you know you're because if you really are if you really are who you claim you are you're not working at arby's you're not working in you know um a normal job everyday job you're working in the industry and sometimes you don't really have that much time to comment on the internet because you're actually doing the work right now okay (laughs) so that's the reality of it here so i digress come back there we go namaste but nonetheless I feel like this was a success and as from what I hear see on the internet and on social media, everybody else thought it was a success too. So this thing is happening. So deal with it. Let's also talk about my thoughts going into the anime world. Tekken Bloodlines also debuting uh, yesterday with everything else that debuted. We got the first or maybe the only six episodes of this series Tekken Bloodlines gives us a retelling of the events that occurred in one of my favorite Tekkens of all time, Tekken 3. This show, and it must be everybody's favorite because they based it, so they didn't go to the first Tekken, they went to Tekken 3 in here. So, this only has six episodes, so you can make, if it's not going to continue, this probably will be a OVA at best, you know? So, with only six episodes that retells the events of Tekken 3, this show tells us the story of Jin Kazama, uh, in his coming of age story to become a stronger fighter, uh, with the ability of the devil gene strong enough to defeat, uh, a powerful monster named Ogre. This, uh, this actual monster, I should say, um, who is the main boss in Tekken three is a powerful monster that feeds on demonic dark power. And when Jen actually you know started fighting it actually awoken the power the power that also kazuya mishima has as well now this is also taking place after the events of tekken uh, 2 which is said that, that kazuya has died and if you remember they did chronicle that mishima um kazuya came back in the second tournament to get revenge or or no actually i'm sorry Tekken 1 was Kazuya getting revenge on uh, Heihachi. Heihachi came back to get revenge back and stop Kazuya. And then, you know, they keep throwing each other off a cliff. That's the common theme with this thing is that they all have a fetish for throwing people off cliffs. So, uh, Mishima is dead. 
uh, Kazuya is dead in this case, and now it transitions to a story with Jen. And if you guys remember, you know, much like the original game's narrative, Ogre comes for Jen, but uh, is defended by his mother and martial arts uh, master and trainer, Jun Kazama, uh, who actually had a kid with Kazuya. They were, you know, they fell in love. They had a kid. She birthed Jen. In this case, who now has the hereditary offspring of the Devil G as well. The results of this uh, fight caused Jun to lose her life uh, to save her son. Jun requested before she died that Jin should go seek Heihachi Mishima, who will be able to train and protect him from the ogre. This led Heihachi to train him and to fight, uh, train him to fight the uh, and defeat ogre. You know, and Heihachi also had other plans as well that he didn't tell anybody. Uh, but due to, you know, but to do that, he wanted to condition Jin to become more demon-like his father which you know also erasing everything his mother taught her about the kazuma style kazuma style of martial arts you know which is the polar opposite of mishima's martial arts which is be hardy be dark be demonic be uncaring because um the kazuma style of martial arts is pretty much the polar opposite of that is you know protect never you know uh be aggressive be defensive you know stuff like that never kill that type of thing all through the six episodes jen was uh in the crossroads of morality here uh you know which discipline he should adhere to if you play the original game you will be happy to know that there's a lot of the main plot and character backstories in the series that respectfully tells the that is respectfully told in here i should say um in here so like you know a lot of times you see a you know game adaptions mostly from america that they often alter and change it dramatically well not in anime a lot of times in anime they do keep close to the source and this is no different this was very well kept to the source of the game uh right down the backstories one of the biggest alterations to the uh, original uh game in this series was the addition of a fan favorite character that was Leroy Smith who debuted it on Tekken 7 as a new DLC for the game. Now, remember, I think people forget too. The term DLC first came into fighting games and it was known as downloadable characters at the time before it became also known as downloadable content. So it became widespread to be used for all games and not just fighting games. But in this case, we'll say DLC for downloadable character. So Leroy is a karate practitioner who, uh, like many of the Tekken tournament participants, wanted to seek revenge on Heihachi. This series helped establish Leroy the way Tekken 7 did not, which was one of my biggest gripes with the uh, DLC in that game, like all the DLC. Remember, Tekken 7 has so many different characters from different, you know, video games and, and, and uh, lores from Noctis from Final Fantasy 15, which, okay, he's in Tekken 7. Why? How? How is this dude a part of Tekken 7? They don't really explain. The only time they explain it is like on a trailer saying that he was coming and he had a little bit of a backstory, but it didn't really flesh out in the story. It's just like you just use him and play him against. They did the same thing for our, um, Negan of The Walking Dead, which was like ridiculous. It was like, okay, he's in the game. Why? How does he connect to this universe? It was very lazily done, 
And then Leroy Smith comes in, who like is legit a, a legit character for the game's universe. But we get no backstory flesh out. We get no little story mode. That's the thing I, I hated about it because the arcade mode, which usually would have backstory endings for most of the characters, they didn't have for this. They just had the main story and that was it. It was like when it came to the DLC, they didn't get that much love as you would get for them. At least, I don't know, because I haven't played it in a while. So maybe it's changed and they got somewhat of a backstory, but I didn't get that from when the last time I played, which was like years ago. But, you know, this Tekken 7 is still an ongoing game, at least for now, until this new Tekken game uh, is coming out, which is supposed to be the new chapter in the Tekken series, not associated with Mishima's entirely. But um, it's going to be interesting to see. But I liked that they used this platform to flesh out at least one of the characters. And of all characters to do it, I'm glad it was Leroy Smith because he is one of the baddest looking characters in there. He's a he's a black character in here and he looks awesome. He has, you know, huge dreadlocks. He got the uh, the martial arts karate gi or the martial arts uh, gi in here. And um, it he, he's just awesome. And I even like the guy who voiced him as well. Um, we also got some other characters that we are familiar with as well. We really, really made like just watching this. It really made you feel like this was indeed Tekken when you saw King. The like certain moves were done in the you know from the game that was very familiar. Certain you know visual effects that was shown in the game was also implemented into this um, the anime to make you really feel like this was you know indeed Tekken. Uh, especially when you saw like King do his grappling combo on Ling uh, Shiyu, or when one of my favorite moves, Paul Phoenix, does his crushing unblockable punch that I use for everybody. I use like because that punch cannot. It takes it absorbs a lot of um, hit points off you on your uh, health gauge when you when it's applied properly, and it can sometimes knock you completely backwards if if it's um, if it's connected. Uh, if it connects to you to your opponent, man, I love it. Um, after a while, it's you know just watching the fight scenes alone, which was very well choreographed and very well executed and done on this series, very uh, animated beautifully. The character design for this um, series was also awesome too. You know, after a while watching it, I got so into it, I got excited watching it. Familiar moves and said like when when Paul Phoenix did his punch, because I'm I love that move. And when he charged back, I immediately saw it and I got so excited about, you know, watching that move. It was just so dope. So overall, this is one of the best adaptions to the game yet. A commendable effort by everyone involved to make this series a definitive telling of the Tekken universe. And, and I say that because this is not the first Tekken uh, series to ever come out. Um, if you are a huge fan of both anime in the Tekken uh, franchise, you know that this is not the first. Tekken came out with their first anime in 1998, and it wasn't, it was surprisingly weak. Like, it did an okay job telling the story, but it felt like it could have, they could have done a much better job with this. Um, it, later on, Tekken Blood Vengeance, which was a CGI anime that came out. Uh, I, it came out like if you brought Tech uh, and Tag Tournament, they also added that to it as well. That was a really good telling of uh, the Tekken series as well. But then America had to put their two cents in it and 
they made their own Tekken movie as well, and it didn't exactly do justice at all. It was not done right. It like it was the lesser evil of other live action uh, movies based on fighting games. I will say this was if I had to gun to my head, I guess if I had to pick between one to watch one movie, I'd say Tekken live action movie versus King of the Fighters or King of Fighters. I would tolerate watching tech both Tekken movies because they came out with two Tekken Kazuya's Revenge, which of all things had Carrie Hideyoki Tagawa on there, who's Shang Shun. He played the role of Heihachi, which I thought it was, you know, if, if you're going to do that, hey, you know, of all people to get for to play that role. Tagawa was really a good choice to play it, but he he did his best on air. But overall, you know, presentation of the movie was just not good. But I will watch both of those movies before I watch King of Fighters. It was the worst freaking game adapted movie of all time. And I know Street Fighter is out there with, you know, um, with Jean-Claude Van Damme. No, that was entertaining in the in a mystery science 3000 type of way king of fighters is just atrocious it is atrocious in every way man it's just so bad but um this one this this anime is definitely on the right track i do hope that we do get to see more episodes come by because i would want to see Jin meet with his father kazuya I would want to see the you know find out more about king because they did mention that this was a new king and you know stuff like that so I forgot about that storyline. There was a lot of stories to this, and we we kind of didn't get to see every Tekken character. They made mention and showed like, um, you know, they showed uh, what was the pant, not the the bear uh, Kuma on air. We got to see Yoshi uh, Mitsu on like briefly on air among few other characters as well. Uh, we also got to see Nina in here you know because she played a prominent role to jen kazama as well because if you play tekken 7 you know that they eventually team up as well so it did a great job giving the full story of tekken 3 and everything that you saw from tekken 3 cutscenes and everything on the game really did flesh out really well on here for it only being six episodes so if you're a tekken fan you should be happy with this but as a tekken fan you probably are going to want more and i hope they do provide us for more so Go out of your way if you own Netflix. That's a definite another great movie to see along with Day Shift and many more that they have on there as well. So, folks, that will do it for what's new in the world of ACMG. We're going to take a break, come back, and we're going to talk some Dragon Ball Super Superhero because, boy, if you really a Dragon Ball fan, especially if you're a Gohan fan and a Piccolo fan, boy, did this pay off. And we're going to talk about all that right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dak Xavier Josiah, the host of ACMG Presents Talk Time Live, the podcast. You want to catch up with all of our podcast shows and hear from some of the hottest names in all of anime, comics, movies, and games, such as... This is Miley Flanagan, the voice of Naruto. This is Stephanie Shea, the voice of Sailor Moon. This is Ruben Langdon, voice of Ken Masters and Dante from Devil May Cry. Hey there, this is Kyle Abair, the voice of Ryu from Street Fighter V. This is Chris Battle, character designer of Teen Titans Go! Here's your chance to check out all of that and more on Talk Time Live.com. TalkTomLive.com provides all of our ACMG content with new and previous episodes, exclusive interviews, articles, and much more. Visit TalkTomLive.com and let us help you learn to let go, live life, and love all things 
KCMG. Hey there, this is Kyle Hebert, the voice of Gohan from Dragon Ball Super, and you are listening to ACMG Presents Talk Time Live. Excuse me, Gohan, this is more of a narrator type thing. Uh, okay. Just do it more like a... Next time on Talk Time Live. Uh, next time on Talk Time Live. Don't quit your day job, Gohan. Do it. And now it's time for our talk topic of the week. Ready? Wait! Ladies and gentlemen, we are back with our talk topic of the week, and it is my review of Dragon Ball Super Superhero. Uh, the latest release in the Dragon Ball Super Saga series. And this time, Goku and Vegeta, Sean Schimmel and Chris Sabat kind of takes a backseat for this to focus on Gohan and Piccolo and their progression. And this is, these are two characters that many fans have wanted to see more of for quite some time. And we finally got to see it. We've Gohan literally, I, I after watching the movie, I went to see the movie yesterday. It was early screening in my area. Um, it's out today everywhere. But, you know, in my area, we had an early screening of it yesterday. So I went to go check it out so I can be here today to talk about it. And immediately after I seen the movie, after a really nice crowd of excited, you know, kids and adults in there, there were adults they were in the theater. There were adults there like myself that were just there as fans of this franchise. But then there were parents that were with their kids who actually probably just used their kids as an excuse to go see it themselves. Um, you know, we all enjoyed it. There were people excited. They were hyped through certain scenes and whatnot and, you know, laughter in certain areas. This this movie was just so awesome, but it focuses on two characters that many fans have been waiting to see some progression. We've gotten to see Goku and Vegeta evolve to such a powerful form, but throughout years, it's been always said that Gohan is supposed to be the most powerful of them all. Gohan, who we first saw some type of potential in the 1989 movie Dead Zone, which was Dragon Ball Z's first movie, uh, not Dragon Ball first movie, Dragon Ball Z's first movie, because there was a movie for the original Dragon Ball series, but this was the Z series. And this was the very first movie that they did when Goku had, you know, Gohan in this movie, which people start are wondering, is this canon to the actual, actually they are, they did make this canon to the actual series. A few other movies in the, um, Dragon Ball Z series aren't supposedly said canon to the actual storyline but this one is because they mentioned it during the cell saga in other parts of the uh series uh over again how he had this miraculous uh layman uh power um that layman ability that hasn't been unleashed yet but we got to see that in the dead zone which was the first movie and at the end of the movie gohan's power unleash and rage to take out the uh guy the bad guy from there we see that again in another Z movie, but most prominent was the movie uh, Bojack Unbound, which was uh, in 1993 that that movie came out. And one of my favorites of the Dragon Ball Z movies, because this was taking place right after the Cell Saga. And we got to see Gohan in, 
you know, in his full mode. And then all of a sudden they have this really awesome Mr. Satan has this awesome tournament that they uh, that he puts together. But it wasn't supposed it was supposed to be all humans that were participating in this uh, tournament. And come to find out all aliens and everybody came in because the idea was that he was supposed to be the one that he faces at the end. And lo and behold, Bojack and all these other space pirates or whatever came in and, you know, took out a bunch of, you know, participants of the tournament, which led to Gohan having to fight him. And Gohan unleashed his new found Super Saiyan ability, his Super Saiyan 2 ability out of here from this. And um, that was one of the coolest episodes i mean or yeah you might as well say episodes sometime but they had like i think 13 movies in the z series but that was one of my favorites that was absolutely that in the original brawly series uh and a few others were my jenna that was another one but bojack i'm bound i think mostly because they did a tournament storyline with this and then followed by we got to see a super saiyan 2 form come in with uh gohan and that was like the very last time aside from gohan getting his full potential in the boo saga that we really got to see gohan evolve to a a new power level and state and since super has come out they kept you know dragging the idea that gohan has not been training he has only been studying he's a biologist now uh, he's, you know, he's living up to what his mom expectations and what she wanted him to do is to become a scholar. And that's exactly what he did. For some reason, he also has to wear glasses now because his eyesight when in normal form just deteriorates or whatever like that. But nonetheless, he is, uh, he is definitely there. And Piccolo, of course, who's been his trainer, somewhat father uh, for a figure, has been really getting mad at the fact that he feels that Go, uh, Gohan has been slacking off and they kept him and Videl always keep having him become the babysitter to Pan. And in this movie, we get to see Pan advance to a level that we are more familiar with her during the GT series. So we now get to see her. She In this movie, it's so funny. In this movie, she's three years old, but she is highly articulate in this. Like she, I don't recall three-year-olds i don't remember three-year-olds being able to do what pan is done not even have a full-fledged articulate conversation with you but pan three years old already knows martial arts is a very smart kid automatically knows who the hell you know everything is and how to you know she's trying to learn how to fly but piccolo's training her as well and she's part saying too so she's you know training very well on this but they keep asking him to, you know, um, babysit him, baby, uh, babysitter and pick her up from, you know, daycare or whatnot, which is highly adorable. And by the way, shout out to the Dragon Ball team for creating. I mean, it's not the first time they created a black character, but this was an awesome like her teacher is black and it's obviously she's black and she, you know, they really gave her like the really cool, you know, uh, natural hairstyle and everything. I thought it was dope. Um, and it was funny that like. Goku, like Piccolo is familiar with the teacher. Like <laughs> the teacher knows who Piccolo is because he picks her up all the time and they are really acquainted with each other. I thought that was so cool. And, um, but he, he's really kind of disappointed at Gohan because he feels that he hasn't been training. At least we think he hasn't been training as much. Um, so he's trying to find a way to get him to get his, you know, training back because 
Piccolo feels that you never know there's always a new threat coming and Goku and Vegeta is training with Whis right now with Brawly as well um, and you know they're they're trying to help Brawly control his anger and temper and not to go completely out so we do get an appearance of Brawly in here this time being played by Johnny Youngbush who is taking over the helm for uh, Vic Mignogna, who was the original voice of Brawly in the original uh, Brawly movie and this recent one until the allegations and such came in and, you know, Funimation decided to just let him go and, you know, his duties of Brawly. So uh, Johnny decided to take over by request uh, of many uh, that are in, the, in, the, in the circle of that controversy. Um, so he's the new voice of Brawly at this point. And he sounds virtually just like Vic anyway. So it was a great choice to do uh, add him on in there as well. But we get to see a lot of cool things in this movie. I thought they did a great job. You know, the, now the animation, the animation style is very heavy CGI. They went a different route this time. They didn't go the same route as, um, you know, uh, the Brawly movie, which I thought the Brawly movie was phenomenal. I also like this one. I, now, I like this one, too. I thought they did a really great job with this, especially with the fighting scenes and everything. But if I had to choose, I would definitely go back to the hand-drawn style that they did with um, Brawly. But I'm taking nothing away from this. I, I understand the art style that they were going with this, and it still worked. It worked for me. I, I You know, it definitely worked for me. I, I actually liked it. Um, I didn't hear anybody in, in the theater with me having any beef about it. Everybody was fully entertained with it. Um, the art styles, the, the, you know, the character designs are always, you know, solid as ever, you know, the Akira Toriyama style in there was really great. And it was awesome. The, the writing and the comedy for this was so awesome. And, you know, because in America, when it comes to writing for anime, they do what is called ADR, um, which is a form of, which is them trying to, you know, write a script that assimilates to the Western style of dialogue. And I felt that they did a really good job and I felt like the dialogue was definitely the ADR um, script writing for this time was really well done. And it was, it, it there you could feel that Western style of comedy in there. I also want to point out that there were some very significant things about this movie that I felt um, like for instance, the red ribbon army their their uh their actual their actual headquarters they enter in their headquarters which which is very similar to black panther and if you guys remember on uh what was it what, what, what on black panther and on um infinity war when you enter into black panther it looks like you're entering to a certain part but it's actually a holographic you know field and you just keep going and all of a sudden you just go into wakanda they did the exact same thing here and took a took a paid homage or took reference to that in here by enter you know by piccolo who's disguising himself as one of the red ribbon guys and is going in to the headquarters to find out that there's red ribbon is still around is still around and still alive and it's i thought that was awesome there was another marvel reference in here as well in here that i thought was very interesting um, but I forgot what it was. It was everything was happening so much. But the deal is, is that, you know, while Goku 
and Vegeta is training uh, Brawly on, you know, Whis's and uh, Barris's uh, world. These guys have to, you know, keep up their game in a case. And it turns out that Red Ribbon Army is once again planning to take revenge on, you know, Goku and Vegeta. And they do so by hiring this new doctor who's Dr. Jiro's uh, grandson, I believe, or son, I believe, uh, in the form of his name is Dr. Leto. Uh, and basically, he is supposed to be a, an even smarter actual doctor than Dr. Jiro, who is the original doctor and uh, scientist who created the androids and Cell. The guy who runs the uh, Red Ribbon Army now is named Magenta, who is also played by, of all people, Mario, a.k.a. Charles Martinet, who uh, we all know as Super Mario. He's the voice of, he's a, hoo-hoo, it's it me. It's that guy. He's playing the main villain of this movie. He's Red Ribbon's new leader. And they talk about his backstory and everything. But um, and Dr. Hiro, who's played by Zach uh, Aguilar, who is also Tenjiro from Demon Slayer, is on here. He's kind of a in the gray type of guy. He he's Dr. Jiro's son, but he's or, or or descendant. But he's not exactly. He doesn't have the evil intentions that Dr. Jiro has. He wanted, unlike Dr. Jiro, he wanted to create heroes, not villains. So he created android heroes, but they're all manipulated to believe that the Capsule Corp you know, corporation, you know, headed by Bulma are the ones that are evil that, you know, they're harboring aliens being the Saiyans and uh, the Namics and whatnot and plotting to, you know, take over the world. So his plan is to kidnap Pan, which is not a hero thing to do, first of all, and they make note of this and try to do it. You know, Piccolo catches wind of this idea and he discovers that you know red ribbon is you know um still around because of the fight that he had with gamma one and gamma two uh it was gamma two that he fought gamma two played by Zeno robinson and um who's one of the rare black actors to ever play in a dragon ball <laughs> uh series or whatever so he plays in many other of uh, you know dubs and stuff on here but he's making his role on uh i believe the other series is he's in pokemon He's in um, he's in My Hero Academia as Hawks too, and uh, Big City Green as Remy as well, and he was in Young Justice as Cyborg. So he's play he's been around a lot of roles. So he's in this as well. He is um, accompanied by his brother Gamma One, played by Alex Lee, in here, and uh, they did really well. I thought his he did a really fun role here. He go Gamma Two goes after Piccolo, which after that altercation. You know he that piccolo managed to survives he goes out and goes undercover and you know tr- finds out that red ribbon is live that's where we get to that black panther wakanda and you know entry scene that we go to so a lot of things that are going on here and you know bomba's trying to get in contact with you know the um with vegeta and goku but they can't because these guys are harboring everything ice cream they're eating all the time they're not even paying attention to you know the you know the communicator that we uh, has in his staff and take note beerus has changed a lot in this movie like he's changed a lot. he's become a more much more nicer <laughs> god of destruction he is well 
first of all, we also discovered that he is, um, he has a type. This dude has a type. And I, the, when, when we found out that this, cause the, um, one of the characters from Dragon Ball Super, uh, Brawly returned, actually the two characters that returned with, with Brawly is back and I forgot her name, but, um, and I'm trying to find it on here, but they kind of portrayed her as like a really hot, you know, looking alien, like kind of the type of hot green female alien that William Shatner would love. Um, so she's kind of play over of that. She's, you know, really attractive, you know, again, but she's green, like kind of Gamora and has a really hot body. Well, this didn't get underway with Beerus because Beerus was not only hungry for food, he was hungry for her. And I thought that was one of the funniest scenes ever. Cause like now we got this new dimension of understanding who the hell he is in here now and what he's into. And it's uh, Ch uh, Chile, uh, what is it? Chilea, that's her name. Yeah, so Chilea is back and from Dragon Ball Super as, as well as uh, Limo, who's now officially Barris's cook because he cooks really well. So that's a new process in here. In the midst of all this, we find out that, you know, Boo cannot help anybody again because once again, he's sleeping. This is the same running gag they had with the Tournament of Power and all the other tournaments. Boo is always sleep when danger is near. That is starting to irk me so bad. <laughs> he's never around when they need him. So while Barris and them are eating ice cream, having fun, training, watching Goku and Vegeta having this awesome fight. And this is the part where uh, Sean Schimmel and uh, Chris Sabat as Vegeta and Goku have their time. It's like we it's not fully focused on Gohan and Goku. But, you know, for those who are still fans of those two, which we are, they give us enough time to see them do what they do best in this fight. So we get a really awesome fight scene in this series. But then once that's going, once that's going through, we immediately go straight to the focus on Gohan and Piccolo in which they're going off against these two new androids. And believe it or not, much to a lot of people's surprise, at least um, at least the American audience surprise, because if you go into the official website for Dragon Ball Super, uh, superhero they spoil a hell of a lot in this film i don't believe a lot of people are going to go into the official website of um and i'm glad i did after the fact <laughs> okay because i would have been spoiled heavily about what happens in this movie had i went to that website and i think i don't know if it's because i don't i gotta see if they came out with this movie prior to let me see dragon ball super Because the problem I have is that, like, if that's the case, maybe it came out a little bit more and they revealed it then. Did this release in Japan? No, it looks like they released it. it. It releases worldwide today. Yeah. If you, boy, if you haven't seen this, and um, you, if, well, first of all, you should be listening to this if you're listening to spoilers anyway. But. Don't go into the website until you watch this film or, but if you're listening to this, you should have already watched the film because I am going to re reveal a lot here in this episode. So if I, I should have spoiler alert on this whole thing. Cause this, this is going to get deep, but they do reveal things already before you ever actually, you know, see the movie. So everything happens here, but 
with those two already training each other and Brawley's there too and you know they're happening you know Bulma's having a hard time so she's she, first of all we also learn about something about Bulma which we kind of learned in the last movie is that Bulma played by Monica Riel one of my favorites to ever uh, get a chance to do a panel with um, she actually now goes full on retrieving the Dragon Balls to assure that people won't use it for evil means even though Bulma uses it to cosmetically change her her uh, visual appearances I died laughing for that because she did that she tried to do that on Dragon Ball Super um, Brawly but now we know that she does that on a consistent basis and she's rich enough to have people to retrieve the Dragon Balls once they are formed again to come back and she's now talking about she wants to like everything that we see she wants to become like thirst trappy now pretty much she wants a bigger booty she wants you know wrinkles being taken off like she's trying to stay in the game forever <laughs> it's incredible I, it just made me think like if the dragon balls were real do you know how many women would try to find the dragon balls and probably would do the exact same stupid thing Oh my God, like I want to be the next Kim Kardashian. That's, that would be the wish for a lot of, you know, Instagram models out there right now. Um, I just thought that was hilarious because I never thought of the Dragon Balls being used so superficially like that. But Bulma is hilarious. But Bulma in her own credit is incredibly, you know, smart and genius-like and, you know, Part of what she does now is be help Capsule Corp together, but she wants to also keep that that uh, that visual keep going. So she's on a hunt to thirst trap herself with the Dragon Balls when they could have used it for so much other things. And Piccolo and her have a big you know hang up about that about them you know her being so petty with the wishes and everything. <laughs> uh, Dende actually you know upgrades the Dragon. Um, the Shinron in order to make more wishes and make more powerful wishes at that. So that helped Piccolo become more powerful to unleash his new abilities now. And we got to see those new abilities in the form of a new form that we see with Piccolo. Now Piccolo Orange. Dude, he looks when he turned to that, he looked so hardcore. I the people in the crowd was going crazy for this. I thought it was awesome. He he just looks tremendous. He just absolutely looks absolutely freaking tremendous here. Um, but we got to see a new form for for uh, Piccolo in this fight because now, of all people that were coming back, Magenta had an even bigger plot. He was manipulating Gamma One, Gamma Two, and Doctor Hido into do, during their bidding. But in the process. Dr. Hido was also asked to create a new cell in the form of Cell Max. And this, when people found out, I was like, oh crap. <laughs> and this is going to lead to Gohan actually having to push harder. And it did. Upon having his daughter supposedly kidnapped, even though it wasn't really a kidnap, they were, her and Piccolo were just playing undercover because she could beat the living crap out of all the, um, the Red Ribbon Army at, at any time. But, Piccolo convinced her to play along with it. And it was some really funny moments when she was supposed to be helpless and Piccolo's in the background like, yes, you're doing good. You're doing great. No, no, no. Calm it down a little bit. <laughs> Piccolo was really funny in this 
you know, in this movie, I thought he was he he was more humanized than ever in this movie. And I've I really enjoyed his uh, his character in, in this uh, movie as well. But when we got to see this happen, we also got to see a big battle with Cell Max after Magenta, you know, tried to take out Dr. Hedo uh, and that didn't work out. But his last thing that he did, which was funny because all it took was a B to sting <laughs> Magenta before he died. But his last thing that he did was unleash, you know, uh, Cell Max. And this led to a monstrous battle, which then led to the moment we've all been waiting for. And that is Gohan getting a brand new form. And my God, I don't know what we're going to call this, but this transformation turned Gohan into what it looked like a kind of ultra instinct like mode. His hair turned totally gray. Um, is actually it turned not only to turn gray, but it turned his hair grew more. So it's like this big kind of spiky Afro type of thing. And oh my God, it was so awesome. It was absolutely awesome. It wasn't ultra instinct because he was fully aware of his whole surroundings and everything, but he was just that much powerful than he ever before. And he didn't need the Dragon Balls to do it. He just saw that, you know, they killed, uh, again, spoiler alert, people. They killed Android 2, which I was really mad because that means my man is not coming back. Um, they, he was even in, in, you know, orange form, Piccolo could not, and in giant orange mode, Piccolo could still not handle uh, Ma uh, Cell Max. This was once again being, this is once again, um, Gohan going into another form to destroy, you know, a, a really, you know, bad guy here. And he did, and he did so not by a Kamehameha wave, but using a special, a, a Kamehameha version of special beam cannon. And Piccolo was very surprised of how he under, he even knew that technique, which I thought was an awesome little, um, spin on a whole thing. And he, I, I was waiting for him to say, I learned it by watching you, which is like a reference from the old drug commercial from the eighties. You know, young kids won't know that reference, but, um, it was, I thought it was, it was fantastic. It was fantastic to go full circle that, you know, it, Gohan was in fact actually still training a little bit while he was doing everything, but wasn't training to the level that Piccolo or any of the other people thought that he should. Well, he learned his lesson today and Gohan got his groove back. <laughs> so it was awesome. He defeated Cell Max and there you have it. We got a new Gohan with a new form. We got a new Piccolo with a new form and with no help needed from Goku or Vegeta, who was still in the planet facing each other that entire time, which leads to one of the coolest and funniest end credit scenes for, you know, Dragon Ball. Vegeta finally got a win off of Goku. It was hilarious. Both of them are exhausted from their fight the whole entire time. Um, Beerus is asleep. Everybody else is tired. Uh, Brawly and Chilea was like finally happy that they were, you know, it was finally over. Limo and Brawly were both in tears watching this fight. And all Vegeta really did was just kind of touched him and plucked him to the floor. Goku fell to the floor first. 
Vegeta fell slightly after, which makes Vegeta the winner. And he said he finally won and Goku laughs it off. He's like, yeah, I guess you did. And it was just one of the best moments. So yes, finally, Vegeta wins barely against Goku after all this time. So that's how the movie ends. I thought the movie was fantastic. I thought it was great that they gave so much focus where focus was needed. Because if you guys remember, Gohan was not even in the last movie. We didn't even know if this movie was ever going to come, if they were going to do another movie or what's going to happen with the universe. But as we saw in this movie, everything as we expected from the Dragon Ball universe, from the world that Akira Toriyama created, evolution is here for this series. And that's when it's all about evolution. We got to see Pan grow. We got to see Gohan and Piccolo grow. We even got to see Gotenks, and I failed to mention this, Gotenks and uh, um, Trunks come together in more ways than one. They tried to come and do Gotenks and they messed up. They became fat Gotenks again because they haven't done, they haven't done the, uh, the dance and the, the, uh, the pose in a long time. So they kind of were rusty on doing it. And by doing so, they screwed it up. So <laughs> that was a whole funny thing too. But we got to see them and Gotenks now rocks a new hairstyle that kind of almost looks kind of Bruce Lee-ish, if you will. So I like what they did with him. Trunks still looks like the same, but they're both growing together. And um, this was so good. This was so awesome. Movie was great. I was highly entertained. This goes down. It's probably one of my favorite Dragon Ball movies to date. And shout out to Kyle, which I, we talked, like I said, we talked afterwards. Told him I thoroughly enjoyed it, man. It was just done. I'm so looking forward to it. And please, folks, do remember that on the 22nd of August, I will be talking to the man himself, Kyle Hebert, the voice, the star of Dragon Ball Super Superhero, as we talk about Gohan and him finally getting his flowers in this thing. And this is awesome. We've all been waiting for this to happen, and it didn't disappoint. The payoff was great after all these years. And um, if you are a Dragon Ball fan, you I don't believe you would be disappointed. If anything that you made some people may slightly be disappointed or angry about is the animation style. I love the animation style. I made like the Brawly style better, but that doesn't mean that this animation style and this character design and this uh, anime, this character design wasn't good either. I thought it did really great. I just, I, I understood that they went with a different art style that an, an animation, well, more animation style than art style. They went for with a new animation style and that's perfectly fine. The CGI was it was it was strong it was solid enough for me to enjoy it i didn't hear anything else from the crowd around me people enjoyed it when they were watching it i know there's going to be a vocal minority of people who will start lashing out saying that you know they didn't like it and that's fine that's their opinion that's all yours it is not the end all be all factor of it but in my view my critique on this platform i give this an a because there was so much payoff to this everything was great the the actual writing the adr writing i thought was really strong here um the follow-ups to a lot of things was really great on this movie and the new characters the, the cyborgs and dr hitto i love them i wish android 2 didn't have to die in order for android 1 to stay alive but that's fine all i want now is to each one of these new characters to be appearing on any one of those dragon ball games that are coming up like dead serious like if this is not on Dragon Ball, you know, uh, Dragon Ball uh, Fighters, 
or Dragon Ball Xenoverse, I will be highly disappointed. I expect one or all of these characters to be on that game because those are ongoing games. But if you're a Dragon Ball fan like I am, like, or a Kira Toriyama fan, as a result of my tattoo uh, laced with Shinran on my right arm, I highly recommend going to see this movie today as it appears out right now. Or if you were listening to this this weekend, go out of your way to listen to it. If you're just now listening to it, I hope you enjoyed it as well. But this is one of the best anime movies of the year, bar none. It deserves every bit of praise and every bit of uh, reviews that has gotten. Go out of your way to check it out. Folks, that will do it for this edition of ACMG Presents Talk Time Live, the Prime Show. Hope you enjoyed this and every episode of our platform, which you can always find on TalkTimeLive.com. This episode, all of our interviews, our audio, our video interviews will be there for you to find very easily, especially the upcoming one now with Kyle Hebert, the voice of Gohan, the star of Dragon Ball Super Superhero, who will be on to talk about that and much more. So stay tuned for that coming this Monday the 22nd. If you want to subscribe or download this in any episode, you could go to anywhere podcasts are played, including Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, Pocket Cast, Pandora, Audible, you name it. If you go on to Tumblr and type in TalkTimeLive.com, you will be able to find it there. If you want to follow me on Instagram, you can do that and never miss a beat at Xavier underscore Josiah. If you want to come to our Facebook group, you could do so at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash ACMG one. You must have a profile account that is more than five years. You have to answer all questions. You, the automated assist that is now on Facebook automatically checks to see if you're, you know, if your stuff is legit and if it's not, and if you don't answer the questions, it will immediately delete it because it'll assume that you are a fake. So, or you're, or it's a burner account of any kind. So definitely, you know, if you're interested, if you want to actually have conversations with other people about what you like and post things, cosplay, whatever, uh, any news going on, your thoughts or whatever, ask questions and just meet new people the right way, the way that social media is supposed to be. Definitely. Again, go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash ACMG one become an actual community there. So that'll do it for me, folks. On behalf of myself, this is Dak Xavier Josiah saying, learn to let go, live life, and love all things anime, comics, movies, and games. This is ACMG Presents Talk Time Live. I am out of Have a great and safe weekend and stay tuned. Gohan is coming. Music for this episode is provided by Game Chops. Check out these great chiptune tracks and more at music.gamechops.com.